and we have a Bible study. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, we've gone as far as verse 10. It's been a wonderful study here in Galatians. And the Lord still has so much that he wants to show us over the next few weeks as we uh, will travel through chapter 5. We've gone, as I said, through verse 10 and move into chapter 6 and finish this powerful epistle that Paul is writing to the Galatian believers 2,000 years ago. It's, it's an epistle for us today. If you're visiting with us or you're new to Calvary Chapel, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So we've been traveling through the book of Galatians for a number of weeks. And it's been a tremendous, tremendous study in that I've gotten a lot of feedback from you that you're just being freed up and, and understanding what it means to live in the liberty uh, that we have in Christ. And as I mentioned to you, as we opened up the chapter, Paul began by telling us that we are to stand fast in the liberty that has made us free. You don't be yoked to or entangled with legalism. He says, don't be yoked to bondage once again. And as we continue traveling through chapter 5, we're going to read that Paul, he, he's telling us how it is that we walk in this grace, the practical application of grace. So, Father, we come this morning, and I pray that we would be established in your truth. We, we need your word to guide us and to teach us. And so, Lord, thank you that we can take your word and plant it in our hearts, apply it in our lives. And I pray that we are attentive that our ears would be open to you and our hearts soft before you. That we would remember to turn our ringers off our phones, be settled in our seats, be attentive to your word, the written word of God, inspired by God, as Paul would take pen to parchment, preserved for us for all eternity. So, Lord, we come and we give you this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we have liberty to, to make us free, and we're going to see what that really is. We're going to read about and talk about what it means to be free in Christ. We're, we're free from the law, as we know, as we read that this liberty that we have is so that, you know, we have opportunity to live for him. It's not so that we have opportunity to sin, but be spirit-led and to walk in the spirit and not after the flesh. So let's do read verse 10 of chapter 5 of Galatians, that we read, I have confidence, Paul writing, in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So the apostle here is actually trying to encourage them. I have confidence in you, you Galatian believers, that you'll take heed to what I am saying to you, and that the Lord will minister these things to you, that you'll get established once again in this gospel of grace. And you know that as it began the, the epistle, this letter to them, that he would write that, I marvel that you're so soon turning away from him who has brought you, you know, this grace, uh, this salvation, this gospel of grace to another gospel, which is not an, uh, the gospel. So you're turning away from it. There are those who are troubling you as they bring this other gospel to you. It, one of the truths that we have learned, there's only one gospel, and that is Jesus Christ in him crucified. And as he is saying that I have confidence that you're going to be established in that once again, that you're going to be thinking clearly, those who trouble you. Uh, remember in verse 7 we read last week, he said, who has hindered you? 
you've ran well, who's hindered you? In other words, that those who uh, were running well in their race in Christ, running, you know, as we are told, that we're to run the race. Uh, Paul uses those analogies of of sports and running, running well and running without uh, hindrance, uh, wrestling. I think it was the sports fan. But he says, you ran well, but who hindered you? Who cut in front of you? Who cut you off? And as he is encouraging them right now, he says, there are those who are perverting the gospel and are leading you astray, and judgment awaits. Remember that Paul wrote in chapter 1 when he said there are those who trouble you that are taking you away from the gospel, that if we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. In Mark chapter 9, and also I believe it's in Matthew chapter 18, that the disciples were, were arguing who's the greatest in the kingdom. They actually asked Jesus, how do we become great? And he answered them. And he would take a child, and he would set that child in the midst of them, and he said, whoever receives one of these child is great in the kingdom, and you must have childlike faith. But then he gave a warning. And he would say, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it'd be better that a millstone be hung around their neck and them cast into the sea. Very sobering words. And he would say that up in Capernaum. And when you go to Capernaum, when you walk through the ruins there, you see all these millstones that are there. There's large ones that are there. They're donut-shaped, made out of lava rock. Uh, There's smaller ones, but even the smaller ones are very, very heavy. And I imagine that Jesus, as he's there with that child in the midst of him, given this warning, that if you cause one of these little ones to stumble who believes in me, it'd be better that that millstone be hung around their neck and them cast into the sea as that village Capernaum was nestled on the north shores of the Sea of Galilee. And, and, and the disciples seeing that illustration, hearing the words of Jesus, and it is sobering. He didn't say that a millstone will be hung around your neck and you cast into the sea. He said it'd be better if that happened. And that really intrigues me. We know that G- James would write in his epistle, not let many of you desire to be teachers knowing that you will receive a greater judgment. So any of us that were involved in teaching, whether it's Bible studies or home fellowships or discipling others, we need to approach the teaching of the word seriously and soberly, prayerfully and accurately. Paul would write to Timothy, and said, study to show yourself approve, a workman that need not be ashamed, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. So as Bible teachers, whether it's with youth or with children, ministry leaders, listen, family devotion leaders, hear what is declared to us, that we are to show ourselves approved, not ashamed, not condemned, but approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. But I want to make another application here, and that is, here's the thing about if you yoke yourself to legalism, if you put yourself uh, under the law, whatever the case is, and what we've been discussing quite extensively over the last several weeks, that if you yoke yourself to legalism, it will entangle you, as Paul, we've seen very clearly, writes. It will bound you up in that perhaps you start out with good motives. 
I want to please God. I, I want to show that I'm, I believe in God. So the way that I'm going to do that is I will set up these rules, these standards. I will follow these rituals in an effort, listen, to keep my righteous standing before God. And what I'm going to do, because I want to keep God's love and approval towards me, and, and I don't want him to stop loving me, or I don't want to lose that righteous standing before him, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read my Bible every day for an hour before I, I go to work. Or I'm going to fast at these certain times. Or I'm going to serve in this way. And what happens is, or what can happen is, we do it for a while, and it will affect you in one of two ways. One is you begin to boast in yourself. You begin to think, I've been doing this, and I'm doing pretty well. Look how spiritual that I am. And instead of alleluia, it's me is what it is. And you begin to become puffed up and you begin to see yourself more highly than you ought to the apostle paul when when you read the book of romans is an incredible book but in chapter 12 he starts telling us how we can be a living sacrifice for the lord and the very first thing that he says is don't think too highly of yourself and as we are ones that are trying to, to earn God's approval, yoke ourselves to legalism, all of this, it can have an effect that we are doing well for a while. I know because I've been through that. Hey, I'm more spiritual than you. I'm better than you. I think more highly of myself than I ought to because I've been reading my Bible. I've been serving in this way. I you know, must be very special to God. I am special to God, but I've earned it. I've earned his love and the righteous standing with him. But what eventually will happen is you sleep in. You didn't pray for that hour before you went to work. I missed a couple days of devotions. And you can begin to judge yourself. You say, I don't measure up. I don't keep my rules. I'm a spiritual disappointment. And you begin to crash spiritually. I've been there on that side as well. Lord, you must be so disappointed in me. Why should I even go to church? Why should I serve? Um, I, I just, I can't measure up. I can't keep these, these standards that I've set up. And, and you go into a spiritual funk and end up all discouraged and depressed. And you can go from self-glorification to self-condemnation. You're down on yourself and you judge yourself. Now, those of you who've been here long enough, you know that I encourage you, read your Bible every single day. It's the way to growth. It's the way for the Lord to speak to you. Have devotions every day. There's all kinds of uh, books and things out there, how to have a successful Christian life, how to have a victorious Christian life. Uh, here's the secret to it. There's no secret to it. Have devotions. Be reading your Bible be seeking the Lord every single day, and you will see that you will begin to grow in a very, very much in a way that um, the Lord is blessing you and growing you in faith and growing you in the word. But if I miss a morning, I don't have to condemn myself and think that God loves me less. I've lost my standing with him, his favor for me.
So Paul here is writing, these, these guys that are putting this bondage on you, they will bear the judgment. Verse 11, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So Paul, before his conversion, being one that excelled in Judaism, would preach that circumcision was necessary for justification. But no longer was he doing that. And if he did, he wouldn't be persecuted by the Judaizers. I want to make it clear to you, brethren, you Galatian Christians, that I no longer preach the necessity of circumcision, but I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul, when he's writing to the church at Corinth in chapter 2, he said, when I first came to you, I came in much fear and trembling. And I didn't come with human wisdom, but I came in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the message that I'm going to give to you. It's saying that you can't save yourself through the law. The message of the cross is an offense to the self-righteous man because what the cross says is that your work is not going to be seen as a way to heaven and that there's only one way. And that's the way that Jesus provided. That who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And as we know that he went to that cross after he said that the next day, and he was pinned to that Roman gibbet. Then he made atonement for our sins. And then he cried out, it is finished. And he would breathe his last. And he was put into a tomb. And he rose again. And we know that as we come in faith, he did the work. He paid the price. And we come in faith. And salvation comes to us. And we are justified by our faith. And the just shall live by faith, as Paul gives the theme here to this epistle. So I wish that as he continues writing that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. So Paul literally is saying that it's very strong words that he's using here. And we don't really need to go into further explanation, but it might be in your margins. I wish they'd castrate themselves or mutilate themselves. In verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I have this verse underlined. I think it's a real key as we go through chapter 5, as we talk about walking in liberty in Christ. Paul wants these Christians to know that they have liberty in Christ, freedom in Christ, but here's the thing about the liberty that you and I have. We're not free so that we can fulfill the desires of the flesh. In Romans chapter 6, we read, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? And you see, one of the aspects of grace is not only are we saved by grace through faith, he has freed us from the penalty of sin, but another aspect of grace is that we're a new creature in Christ. Regeneration has happened. We've been born again by the Spirit of God, and that he has given us the power to live for him by the Holy Spirit. That we can live a life pleasing to God. We are free to live for him. And it should never be the mindset of the Christian that I'm going to just live for myself. I'm going to please myself. I'm going to live after the flesh. He has brought us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And why would we want to go back to the darkness? But Lord, I want to live for you. 
And Paul will press this truth that grace does not mean that you make provision for the flesh. And you see, the legalists would come back at this truth of the scripture that we have liberty in Christ. And they will say, well, then people are going to live in sin. They will go out and they will live according to the flesh all day long. And that's why we need to emphasize the law. We need to put people under the law or there's going to be lawlessness. People are just going to go out and sin and be carnal all the time. The Apostle Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, here's the thing to remember. We're not lawless as Christians. We don't yoke ourselves to the law. We don't put ourselves under the law. But we do follow a law. But it's a living law. It is the law of the Holy Spirit that resides in me. It is a law that is not written on the tablets of stone. It's written on the tablets of my heart. The word of God in my heart. The Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. We know how that works. So you're at the lunch break with your coworkers, and all of a sudden some, one of them begins to gossip about somebody else or begins to slam the boss. And everybody's kind of pitching in and giving their two cents and the gossiping continues and you know they're yucking it up and laughing and all this and you just have this temptation to join in you just have this little juicy piece of news that you know that you can add to the conversation but the holy spirit is saying no you're not to be involved in that you're to have no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth but what is necessary for edification you know that you're not to do that maybe after work some want to go and hang out at the bars or they want to do some partying and do some drinking and the temptation is well i can go there i can go there and do you know just for a little bit and so you go And I've heard it from a lot of guys. They said, I was thinking I could go and I could give a couple Bible verses as we're there to my co-workers and all that. And what ended up happening was they said things as they were in that place. And they're having a few beers or whatever it may be. And they come and they say, I said things that I shouldn't have said. And I really embarrassed myself. And I came out smelling like booze. And my witness was ruined because of that. And I knew that the Lord told me not to go into that place, that I shouldn't do this. You know how it works when the Lord convicts you and says, don't watch that, don't participate in that, don't go down this this way. We have liberty in Christ. And when he convicts us, it's always to draw us to him. So we can continue in this freedom and liberty that we have in Christ. The Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. The word of God instructing us. And just as the law will put us in bondage, it is the same with sin. With living after the flesh, it will leave you in bondage and in captivity and despair and depression. And we are to be as Christians dead to sin, dead to the old stuff, free from sin, free not to sin. And as I've already said, that why would we want to go back to the world when he's brought us out of the world? Why would we want to be like the children of Israel that said, we want to go back to Egypt? 
We want to go back to the old hangouts, do the old things. And the Lord says, no, I want to move you forward. I want to take you to the promised land. I don't want you to to go back to Egypt. I have so much for you. And I want to bless you and for you truly to be free because the big deception of the enemy is you just live for yourself, do what it is that you want to do. You be the captain of your own ship. You you just live after the flesh and you'll be free. You'll be happy. The message, popular message in the church today by many, God just wants you to be happy. We're all for happiness. But you're not going to find it living after sin. In our liberty and freedom, we live for Christ and we serve Christ through love serving one another. It's a command. We reach out, we help out, we serve others. And there's so much to do in serving others and how we can do it to the people that are linked to us in our lives, in the body of Christ and elsewhere, that we can be such a blessing to them. And as Pastor Luke was talking about at the beginning of service, it is getting darker and I think it's, it is getting darker to where as we shine as the light, it's really is noticeable. The light shines brighter as the darker it gets. And you and I have opportunity to shine forth the love of Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ, to serve others, to love others. Because there's a lot of people that are thirsty. We can give them the water of the word. We can give them truth. We can bless them, serve them, that they really see the reality of Jesus that is in our lives, that they see that we're not in bondage to the the world. We've been freed from the lust of the flesh and the junk of sin, and we're free to go and love others and serve others and give to others. That's why I don't really care for the self-focused, self-centered Christianity that is very popular today with so many Christians. We are to be Christ-centered. We're to be other-centered. Let's continue reading in verse 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So the scribes the, of the Old Testament, the religious leaders, they had the Ten Commandments, and you can read how they took the Ten Commandments and made 613 commandments out of the Ten Commandments. Paul here says that the law can be summed up in one word, love. You love God and you love others. And as Christians, we're not to bite and devour and to put others down. Listen, if we choose to do that here at Calvary Chapel, we ignore this command to love one another and we turn on each other and we're tearing each other down and and we're just putting people down and being harsh and negative, we will consume one another. We'll devour one another. And it does happen in churches. And God forbid that that ever happens here. You get enough of that in the world. And we live in a culture where it is so negative. We love to analyze and scrutinize and judge and criticize and tear people down. And, and some of you, you may be in a place where it happens all day long. And you come home and you're wore out. Because it's so negative, and those who are tearing you down and tearing others down, 
That's why we have a problem with our young people because it's all over social media. That they're reading all this stuff and they're being judged and they're told they're not pretty enough or smart enough or good enough or popular enough. So they're struggling in that. Because they're being devoured by the ways of the world and the attitudes of the world. And it really grieves me when on social media, and I do not get on much of social media at all, but it grieves me when I hear or when I read when a Christian is just tearing people down. It ought not to be. Let's not devour one another. But I pray that this would be a place, as we're given a hospitality, that this would be a hospital for those who are hurting. And a place where love is being demonstrated by our serving one another, serving others. And when when people come here, that they would perceive the love of Jesus Christ coming from us. I don't want to be in a church where there is no love. And I don't think you do either. I think about the letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus. They said, you guys work hard. I know your works. I know you stand on truth. You persevere. You're doing a lot of good things. I just pictured the church of Ephesus, uh, the main church there in Proconsular Asia in the first century, that there's this big church and lots of things are happening and programs and ministries and they're standing on truth and all of this. But he said, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. You need to go back. You need to repent. Because if you don't, I'm going to remove my lampstand. And Christ will not be in a church where there is no love. He just won't be there. For those of us who are older, I pray that we would express that love and just support for our young people. I pray for those who are down and out that we would love them. And we can bring correction and we can bring rebuke and we can speak the truth in love. But it's not devouring one another and going around sin sniffing all the time. And how can I tear you down and how can I criticize you? And, but the love of Jesus Christ coming from our hearts. The love of Christ as we serve one another. For all the love fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And my prayer is that as we do that, that we would see people that would really see the light of Christ. Jesus said, you will know my disciples by their love for one another. And in verse 16, I say to them, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. We as Christians being told, walk and it has the meaning you keep walking. And as we walk through life, we are to depend on the indwelling Holy Spirit for guidance and power. You walk in a newness of life. You walk in submission to the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, you're not going to go out and fulfill the lusts of the flesh. To walk in the Spirit means that you are living and being in power and directed by the Spirit of God. And the law could never do that. The law can't do that. 
So again, the a key to living and standing fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free is not to be entangled with the yoke of legalism, which Paul wrote in verse 1 of the chapter. It isn't legally trying to, to keep away from sin. The key is, is being surrendered to the Spirit. It's not so much focusing on the law. It's yielding to the Spirit. And as I said, an aspect of grace is salvation by faith, being born again by the Spirit of God, a spiritual rebirth. So it is a, listen, living relationship, the law of the Spirit, the Word of God, written on the tablets of our hearts, God dwelling in our hearts. It gives us the desire and the power to live for Him and to please Him. And that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian, that God enables us and empowers us to yield to him and abide in him, a life that is pleasing to him. You see, I can tell you what to do. People come all the time, and I, I give them counsel from God's word. This is what God's word has to say. I can't give you the power to do it, but he does. Because God's commandments are God's enablements. If he commands you to do something, he's going to empower you to do it by the Holy Spirit. There's a man with a withered hand in Capernaum. The religious leaders were testing Jesus. Another interesting, just a little side note. Another interesting, I I was talking with Sue last night. We had a long day. We were with a lot of people yesterday. and, And... she, we were talking about, she was telling me that in her devotions, she's been reading the Gospels. Uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. She's just about done with John. And she noticed something about the Pharisees and how it is that we can have a pharisaical heart or mindset. People say, how do I know that I'm being legalistic or a Pharisee? Well, she would write down words like the Pharisees watched. Pharisees condemned. The Pharisees accused. The Pharisees this. You know, you can write those words down. How is it that we have a pharisaical mindset or heart? Is we're watching others to put them down. They were watching Jesus, accusing others. You know, being prideful. You know, I'm better than you are. You know, just being discouraging, accusing, trying to trick and trap and all of this. All those words they can write down. So here they are. They're trying to trap Jesus and seeing if he's going to heal on the Sabbath day. There's a man there in the synagogue, as Mark Gospel records, and Matthew as well, that he's in the back with a withered hand. And so Jesus stands up, and he says to the man with the withered hand in the back, he said, you stand up. And as they're watching him, as he turns to the religious leaders, and he addresses them, and he said, is it lawful to, to heal on the Sabbath day? He would then turn back to the man with the withered hand. He said, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to stretch it forth. And as he heard the command of the Lord to stretch it forth, that his hand was healed. You stand in the back. 
I want you to stand up. You stand up in the back is what he said. And then now I want you to stretch forth that withered hand. And that man very easily could have said, what do you mean stretch it forth? I can't do that. The muscles are all shriveled up. The nerves are shot. It's withered. I can't do this. And it would be understandably, you know, a response that we would think that he would say. But as he heard the command of the Lord to stretch it forth, as he dared to stretch it forth, the healing was brought to him because he heard the words of the master and of the teacher and of our Lord saying, stretch it forth. And I believe that perhaps there might be some that are here today that the Lord is saying, I want you to stretch forth that thing that is withered in your life. I want you to stand forth and stretch out that hand, that thing that's withered. And you've been saying, I can't do it. And you know you can't. You can't do it on your own. One of the things that, you know, I would hear uh, TV preachers, when I first got saved, I couldn't believe that there was Christian TV. And there's the televangelist or pastor, and I remember I've been saved for a couple weeks, and this guy's on TV, and he's, you know, being all theatrics and all of this, you know, and, and I'm not afraid of anything. And you devil, I'm going to grab you or I'm going to throw you down. And, and you know, I have victory in every area of my life. I, I don't have any fear in all of this. And I'm thinking, wow, that's ahead for me. And a couple of weeks later, I became fearful. I became discouraged. I felt weak. And I, I began to think that I must not be saved. Something's not right. And he was like, you know, waters are going to fall off your back like, you know, you know, problems fall off your back like water off, off a duck's back. And, and, and I come to realize this, and I hope that we do. It isn't you. I can't stretch it forth. But I hear the command of the Lord saying, I want you to stretch it forth. And his commandments are his enablements. That he will enable you to do it. I need him. I need him. It isn't you, you, you. It's him, him, him. And Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 tells us, It is God who works in us both the will and to do of his good pleasure. So God through the Holy Spirit will work in us the will to do his good pleasure, the desire to please him, to live for him. You see, the law will set the standard, but it does not work in you the will and the desire to keep it. Because the flesh lusts or wars against the spirit. And there's a battle that's going on, isn't there? And it's a battle all the time between our flesh and the spirit. And we know. So that temptation comes, and there is the spirit of God in us that is telling us, you do not go in that direction. You do not sin in this way. You do not give in to this temptation. But it is the spirit, that living law that we talked about that says no, and when I am in a loving relationship with Jesus, he gives me the will, you know, I don't even want to watch that garbage. I don't want to go to that place. I don't want to participate in this thing. I don't want to go out and party. 
he works in us both to will and then to do of his good pleasure. That is the work of the Holy Spirit as we walk in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it isn't I'm going to suck it up and tough it out in my own energies and strength. Jesus said that the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What we do is we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, as I say, I need you, Lord. Lord, I need you. And I hear your words. That this thing in my life that's withered, to stretch it forth. And I know that you're going to enable me what you command me. And you're going to enable me to live a life, to live after you. You are born again by the Spirit of God, and you can leave this place being free from the bondage of the world and sin and carnality. And Lord, you're going to work in me the will and desire, the want and the do, the power, the ability of your good pleasures to think godly. And to live godly, you walk in the Spirit, you abide in Christ, you look to Jesus to give you that victorious Christian life, you love him, and you know him, and you marvel at his provision, and his goodness, and his faithfulness, and you be yoked to him, and you learn of him. And that's what it means to walk in the Spirit, and you do it every day. It's a living, loving relationship with the Lord. The Holy Spirit living in our hearts, the Word of God being planted in our hearts, you walk in faith, and... The faith, you know, the just shall live by faith. You stand in his promises. You're established in his promises. And as you're doing that day by day, moment by moment, then the fleshly tendencies and desires begin to lose its grip on you because I'm yielded to the Spirit. So the liberty that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have in Christ, is not so that we can fulfill the desires of the flesh, is but that we might live for him. We walk in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit being enabled by the Spirit. So God the Father dealt with the problem of sin by sending his Son. God the Son dealt with the penalty of sin by going to the cross. And God the Holy Spirit dealt with the power of sin because he dwells in your heart. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for these verses and such a key and sometimes... Lord, we want to live for you. We desire, and we think the way to do it is by putting ourselves under the law rather than yielding to the Spirit. Lord, we know that you give us your commandments, how to live for you. And there's this warning that goes on, but Lord, as we yield to you, there's a living law. Your word written on the tablets of our hearts. You dwelling in our hearts in this newness of life. We're dead to sin. We get to live in this newness of life. We reckon it to be so, as we're told. And so, Lord, I thank you that we can walk in the Spirit and not have to live a life fulfilling the flesh. And I want to pray this morning for those who may be here. Maybe you're here and it's just been a struggle. You feel like you're in bondage to this sin or this attitude. And I want you to know that you are free to live for him right now. Right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit because his commandments are his enablements. 
and you pray right now saying, Lord, I reckon it to be so that I live in this newness of life, that I am free to walk with you. And it's you that works in me to will and to do of your good pleasures. And I yield to you right now. I need you. I need you, Lord. Please, every moment, every day, help me to yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. When you're speaking to me, Lord, I want to walk in obedience. I desire to. But the Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. I need your help. So, Lord, help me to be free to walk with you, for you, to experience that abundant life that you have for me. And, Lord, I thank you that you want to do that work in my life. In Jesus' name. And if anybody is here, maybe you're watching online, that you've never made a commitment to Christ, that you have to be born again by the Spirit of God for salvation and forgiveness of sin, to recognize that you're in sinner in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on that cross for, for you and was put into a tomb and rose again. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He died for you because he loves you to take care of the sin problem. And you come and call on the name of the Lord. And as you call on the name of the Lord, believing that he died for your sins, you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. And as you come humbly and sincerely, repenting, repenting of your sins, turn to Christ right now and call out to him and he will hear you. And you can pray, Jesus, I come and ask you, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me personally, for my sins. Forgive me. And I ask that you now would be my personal Lord and Savior and Redeemer. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and for this new beginning and making me a new creation in Christ. Lord, I pray for all of us as we leave this place that we would leave being free to walk in the liberty that we have in Christ and being empowered by the Spirit, being directed by your word. And Lord, you working in us both the will and to do of your good pleasures. May we serve one another in love, serving others, being a light to them. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.